Hello, hello everyone. Hi, salutations. Welcome to Tea and Gemstones, your shiny podcast home for a happy mix of science, social commentary, history, and diving into up-close looks at all the little details because I believe that is where a lot of the joy is. I am your host, Jen. I am a lifelong sparkle enthusiast, and my main goal is for this podcast to feel like auditory sweatpants, something easy to put on, comfortable, make you feel good. If this podcast accomplishes those goals, it would be amazing if you left a rating or review on your preferred podcast listening platform. That feedback is all that keeps Tea and Gemstones discoverable on the search algorithms. Thank you, everyone. It means a ton that y'all care about me not vanishing into internet obscurity. All right, without further ado, let's get started. What is the purpose of jewelry? Personal adornments conveying wealth, status, like power, authority, or engagement, or marriage, or just to show like, hey, I like the color blue. I like the swirly shape. It honors my religion, displays my birthstone. My friend made it. (laughs) Really, no matter how you slice it, jewelry is decoration. Yes, Sometimes it is true that jewelry can have a function, a job, like a signet ring to give an authoritative seal, which is an outdated concept in modern times, really. So talking about it, I do come to the conclusion that while jewelry is incredibly personal and does help us portray our identities to the world, it is in the end decoration. But what about watches? Watches no doubt have a job. They tell the time. Modern watches do above and beyond tracking hours and minutes. They can go underwater, set alarms, be a stopwatch, and let's not even start on the topic of smartwatches. They are just teeny tiny iPads on straps. If considering if an object is jewelry or not, just look at the precious materials used by the luxury watchmakers, gold, silver, gemstones. They're all the same things like invaluable earrings and rings, etc. So are watches jewelry or not? The idea of decoratively wearing a clock on your wrist is a fairly modern one. When you consider we have 6,000 year old rings and 2,500-year-old brooches, watches are a mere 490 years old or so. The earliest dated watch known is from 1530. It's a cute little round yellow gold piece. It's almost egg-shaped. It was made in Nuremberg, Germany by famed early watchmaker Philip Melanchthon. Oh, I'm so sorry, Philip, about your last name. I'll call you Philip. One interesting feature of the watch is that it has tiny legs, so it can stand up on its own, and also a small metal loop that can be attached to a necklace or a chain. Timekeeping technology advanced rapidly from the late 16th century onwards, allowing watches to become duly more compact and accurate. The concept of carrying a timepiece on your person became very in vogue in Europe, 
we have record of Queen Elizabeth I of England receiving what she called an armed watch from her lover Robert Dudley in 1571. The oldest surviving true wristwatch, though it was called a bracelet watch, belonged to another royal woman, Empress Josephine, Napoleon's wife. She ordered the watch herself, you go girl, in 1799 for 3,000 francs. Treat yourself. The watch is made of yellow gold and blue enamel. It's actually something called a tactile watch, which means the watch hand is on the outside of the case. So if the watch was in the owner's pocket, or say, your hands were folded politely in your lap at a boring royal dinner party, you could tell the time by touch without looking down at the watch and being rude. I like to imagine Empress Josephine subtly and diplomatically using this feature to manage her day. The watch stayed in Josephine's family for a long time, but ultimately ended being up for auction in 2007 in Geneva, Switzerland. Um, how much do you think the first bracelet watch sold for? Well, it was appraised for about $216,000 and ended up selling for $1.3 million to an anonymous collector. You guys know how I feel about anonymous collectors. It pains me that so many historical pieces of jewelry end up hidden away in secret vaults where no one can see or appreciate them. But that's the way it ends up a lot of the time. Time. See what I did there? A bad pun. But how's that for a section transition? Is anyone still there? Okay. (laughs) From Josephine's first wristwatch at the very start of the 19th century, designs and technology continued to develop. But in terms of quantity of product, that was at first slow to scale up. And this was because in the 17th and 18th centuries, watches were made painstakingly by hand, almost exclusively in Great Britain. But in 1851, here comes the United States, a guy named Aaron Lufkin Dennison was like, um, how about we make interchangeable parts? Interchangeable parts means all the little components are basically identical. They're made to set specifications. So all the little bits can be assembled into a watch without custom fitting. Dennison got some guys together, got funding, and started a watchmaking factory in the Northeast. The company Dennison founded to start the factory. It underwent a handful of name changes through the decades, but how's this for a statistic? In 1851 to 1857, so a little over 100 years, his factory made about 40 million watches. A lot of those watches being churned off the fresh assembly line most definitely were not jewelry. They were pure function. Around this time, there were a lot of wars going on. Military men obviously clued in to the incredible usefulness of being able to synchronize maneuvers in battle without revealing plans to the enemy via things like flag, light, or radio signaling. These watches were really simple designs on a plain leather or canvas strap. 
but to push the needle back towards jewelry, in 1904, a guy named Louis Cartier, yeah, the founder of one of the most prestigious jewelry manufacturers in the world, Cartier had a close friend named Alberto Santos Dumont. Alberto was a Brazilian aeronaut who had dedicated his life to aeronautical study and experimentation in Paris, where he did things like, um, like he flew his airship around the Eiffel Tower and also became friends with Mr. Cartier. Alberto was pretty famous, and he told his buddy he wanted a more stylish way to check the time hands-free while he flew. Cartier designed his friend a new style of wristwatch and named it after him, the Santos. The design was so popular and beautiful, it's still in the spotlight of Cartier's brand. Cartier, as of February 2022, makes 53 versions of the Santos watch for both men and women. They all feature the signature Santos watch face, which is Roman numerals on a large rectangle in a thick bezel with deeply rounded corners. And you know I had to look it up. The most expensive Santos is made of solid rose gold set with faceted sapphires and retails for $66,500, not including sales tax, says the Cartier website. The most affordable Santos is made of silver-colored steel set with blue synthetic spinel and a navy blue alligator leather strap retailing for a reasonable $3,800. See, if you look at these watches made with precious metals set with gemstones, how can they not be jewelry? Are they just a bracelet with a job? Let's look at the brand that's probably first to spring to mind when you're talking about luxury watches. I would totally be remiss to not bring up this brand. They're undoubtedly the most well-known high-end watchmaker. How do they help the our watches jewelry debate shake out? Let's talk about Rolex. I have previously established my love of words, etymology. I love to know where words come from what they can mean. So the actual name Rolex is made up. Yeah, well, I mean, all words are made up, but seriously, the founder of Rolex, a guy named Hans Wilsdorf, he took an interesting approach to naming his luxury watches. In 1958, on Rolex's 50th anniversary, Wilsdorf shared how he landed on the name back in 1908. He said, quote, I tried combining the letters of the alphabet in every possible way. This gave some hundred names, but none of them felt quite right. It was one morning when I was sitting on the upper level of a double-decker bus, powered at that time by horses, driving along Cheapside in London, that a good genie whispered in my ear, Rolex, end quote. Well, Whether the name came from the lips of an invisible spirit, Wilsdorf has also previously stated he wanted a brand name easily pronounceable in any language and short enough to fit easily on the small face of a watch. However the name came to be, Rolex is now a name synonymous with luxury. 
Their logo is a crown, for goodness sakes. Rolex's first claim to fame was that their designs keep dust and moisture from getting into the sensitive mechanisms of the watch, hence naming one of their first models the Oyster. I would say the Rolex brand pushes the pendulum more towards watches not being jewelry, simply because Rolex takes the watch and makes them highly functional. Rolexes are known for being extremely accurate, sturdy, and reliable. The Rolex watch styles and designs are consistent and slow to change through the decades, definitely very little emphasis on fashion. But they're made with the highest quality materials. Rolex exclusively uses 18 karat gold as well as platinum and their own proprietary luxury steel alloy called oyster steel. Rolex does offer diamond set watches, 14 options to be exact. You may think, well, a watch definitely becomes jewelry if you absolutely cover it in diamonds, right? Well, me, Jen, I'm going to make a statement. You can't just encrust a timepiece in as many diamonds as possible to push the accessory into jewelry territory. I think the fully iced out watches are their own kind of category, like smart watches, somewhat removed from the overarching discussion at hand. Nick Falkes, an English social history journalist who is renowned for his numerous books he's written about watches, Nick refuses to even discuss or write about so-called bling watches. In one interview, he says plainly, quote, The whole diamond set market simply doesn't interest me, I'm afraid. If a man's wearing a diamond watch, what it tells me about him is that he wants me to think he's got a lot of money, end quote. I know that for me personally, I like that jewelry is something visible on a person and it displays highlights of your personality and your likes and dislikes without having to say a word. While my eye is definitely more tuned to features like diamond shapes and filigree work, what I found while researching this episode is that there's a whole culture of people who apply that same manifestation of personality all distilled down into a person's watch choice. A lot of you listening probably already knew this and are like, duh, Jen, get with it. But I'm sorry. I openly admit my nativity to watch culture. I have been trying to learn about what a watch says about the wearer. Watch culture of personality seems to be a very male-focused world, which I find intriguing. So very much of the jewelry world is extremely female-focused, so I relish this peek into another psyche. I read an interview with a man who cherishes his Rolex Oyster Perpetual because his dad bought it in the year he was born and then gave it to him. To put in another Nick Falke's quote, he says, To see Steve McQueen in a tag hewer is very powerful. What bloke doesn't want to be Steve McQueen? Brightlings and Omegas are seen as adventurous watches, conveying a dashing sense of taking on the world due to their association with fighter pilots and James Bond. Patek Philippe timepieces are known for their exquisite craftsmanship, and with a starting price point of just over $12,000, 
These watches show the world the wearer is undoubtedly affluent and appreciates the finer things in life. I relate uh, Patek Philippe watches to the Bulgari Serpents or the Cartier Panther, an instantly identifiable symbol of this person has money to spare and enjoys nice things. But all these luxury watches I've mentioned, they're certainly more in the tool category. This is a decoration with a job. It needs to tell the time. Yes, the mechanisms are swathed in the finest materials and executed to ultra precision, but in the end, they simply must tell the time. Their personality conveying traits stem from the brand association more than the individual watch itself looking like a reflection of the wearer's personality. It was the high jewelry houses who really have pushed the concept that watches didn't have to be purely 100% function with no form. Nowadays, every modern jewelry house isn't complete without at least one design of wristwatch in their repertoire. The combination of mechanical requirements to, you know, (laughs) actually tell the time, and the artisanship to make the watch beautiful seems to have fostered fertile creative ground for many a jewelry house. On the Hermes website, the following quote is the header over the catalog of watches. Quote, At Hermes, Time is an accomplice. Rather than controlling it, Hermes dares to create a different time intended to arouse emotions and deviate to the path less traveled, end quote. Very romantic. And then you peruse Hermes's watch selection. You can see such creative things like the Archaea watch, which has swirled numerals like they're caught in a windstorm, or the iconic Kelly watch, which is actually multiple wrappings of leather with the actual watch face in a gold lock hooked to the leather straps. Just for fun, let's compare Hermes's whimsical mission statement of time being an accomplice to arouse emotions with the mission statement at the top of Rolex's website. Quote, discover the broad selection of Rolex watches to find a perfect combination of style and functionality. End quote. Very different vibes, huh? For all the swinging back and forth of is this watch jewelry or not, let me present a side to the argument that is very clearly pro-jewelry. Van Cleef & Arpels has a truly stunning collection of high jewelry watches. These watches are designed to look like bracelets, with the complex watch components artfully disguised. The website page for the collection describes the watches as, quote, Revealing hours and minutes like a delicate secret. These jewels that tell time are adorned with precious stones of the highest quality. End quote. I love the phrase jewels that tell time. That is so romantic to me, and it really does personify these watches. I love the Marguerite watch. It's a stunning white and yellow flower comprised of 392 diamonds and 19 sapphires, totaling over 8 carats total of stones. The watch dial is actually under the center of the flower. It lifts like the most delicate lid. 
The watch is even versatile enough that it can be worn on the wrist or on a solid gold clip like a brooch. It most certainly is the farthest thing from a utilitarian military man's tool. It's a piece of art like all high jewelry should be. Oh, the price for the marguerite? $167,000, excluding tax. Though there is a note on the website product description that replacement watch batteries are free. So if you were on the fence... I have gone round and round, back and forth. There are some watch brands that make me see watches as a beautiful, functional tool. And then there are other brands that make me firmly believe, oh, this is a bracelet with a job. That's jewelry. But in the end, no matter what side of the camp of belief you fall on, let's remove emotion from this. For all the sort of high-minded discussion of ornamentation versus function of trying to decide if watches are jewelry, I realized that while doing my research, I could count on the unemotional qualifier of insurance to make things clear. When it comes to insuring your valuables against things like theft, fire, and vandalism, insurance companies consider coverage for watches part of a jewelry policy. So there you go. In the end, the debate can be settled by the accountants. That's all for this episode of Tea and Gemstones. I hope no one is too angry with me with how I handled this discussion of our watches jewelry or not. I honestly surprised myself by discovering while exploring and writing this episode that people really, really have opinions on this topic. So please, share your opinion with me. (laughs) Find the show on Instagram at Tea and Gemstones and leave a comment on the post for this episode. The link in the show notes takes you to our website, which has transcripts for all episodes as well as the bibliography. Our theme song is by Joseph McDade with additional music work by Audio Nautics. As always, I have been your host, Jen. Quick little reminder, please leave a review or a rating. It helps the show so much. Okay, everyone. Until next time, stay sparkly.